1: Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Robert. Robert is here because he wanted to talk about his experience working in a call center. Um, Some of our listeners will remember that our most recent episode was uh, about Amazon warehouse work and describing the conditions there. And I, I think the way you've described it is there's a level of stress that's very comparable when working at a call center. Is that right?
2: I would imagine so, though. I don't have a way to compare because Mm -hmm. it was a new experience to Mm -hmm. me, having come from uh, education as a teacher and construction, so it was a completely new experience for me, but I've been hearing that the conditions where I worked for Maximus Corporation, administering the uh, Affordable Care Act for New York State of Health, I was told that the conditions that we were dealing with there at that call mm-hmm. center were pretty similar to other uh, call centers, although we mm-hmm. were very doing a very specific task yeah. signing people up on the New York State of Health Exchange. And
1: so your job would be to field calls from people who wanted insurance, effectively
2: individuals that needed to get health insurance mm-hmm. and or already had an existing account, we would call it, mm-hmm. through the New York State of Health, and we're either having had to renew their health insurance coverage because it, it only good for a year, mm-hmm. and or they were having issues, problems, and we right. had to problem solve for them. Ideally, we would solve that problem in that one call.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you talk about problem solving. Very few people are calling into a call center. They're happy about it. I I imagine generally if you're calling into something it's because something is going wrong did you encounter a lot of you know angry callers at all is that something
2: Um, fortunately I did not and I I think at this point it it would help to identify exactly what what our task was I worked for a private corporation called Maximus Corporation Mm -hmm. they've been in existence for over 45 years apparently what they do is they contract out in the United States to, to state governments okay. to administer the health insurance programs that each individual state mm-hmm. uh, is running. And yep. under the Affordable Care Act, all states had to have that offer that coverage. So Maximus was contracted to New York, specifically to New York State of Health, mm-hmm. to administer the Affordable Care Act. Right. And I called it the Unaffordable Care Act. That was mm-hmm. my subjectivity, my opinion, because if you're low income, it's certainly affordable. And once you go over a certain threshold, it becomes unaffordable. And that's where there were a lot of that's I would say the majority I didn't, I didn't break it down, I didn't keep mm-hmm. those statistics, but I would say when people were upset it was because their income had pushed them over the medicaid threshold, threshold yes mm-hmm. and and there was an, in new york state and it was up to each state individually new york state had expanded medicaid to create what they called the uh, essential plan it mm-hmm. didn't exist in the beginning of the program in new york state and e-
1: effectively they raised the threshold so you could be yes. making more than previously and still be on medicaid
2: correct and the problem was but, that but especially for younger people mm-hmm. who were getting raises on their jobs or mm-hmm. either through merit or longevity or they in, were turning 26 or they were turning 26 mm-hmm. where they were covered and if they had an income that was above that threshold they weren't getting free to low cost now health, this is something i
1: just encountered myself I I turned 26 in March so I had to go off my parents insurance and had to um, you know move on to some other plan and in my case I I don't make enough to be over that threshold so I I was able to get a Medicaid plan it was sort of simple I mean comparatively more complicated than it should have been but it I didn't have to deal with this added stress of figuring out you know budgeting for health insurance Mm-hmm. which, frankly, no one should, but that's a right. matter for another day.
2: Yeah, I was on Medicaid myself when I was unemployed, and uh, in my opinion, it's great coverage. Yeah. So uh, if you're working, <laughs> try not to go over that threshold. Yeah, yeah. I think for an, um, the expansion of Medicaid, which is in New York State it's called uh, the Essential Plan, mm-hmm essential plan 2 you can i think your income threshold is about 24000
1: mm-hmm. now um the uh, aca the affordable care act is like famously complex and complicated it's you know designed by wonks for wonks in some extent and like how much training were you given to know the various ins and outs so that you'd be able to explain this to you know customers
2: okay so the training, mm-hmm. the Rochester call center, there's, there's one, I'm not supposed to identify where they are, but there's one in Albany. As long as I don't give the specific address, right, right. there's New York city and Albany. And then when there was a realization that, uh, there was an ex- going to be an expansion of the number of, of people App. that were signing up mm-hmm. when president Obama was in office New York State realized, New York State of Health realized they needed to open another center, Mm -hmm. call center. And three years ago, around this time, the Rochester Maximus New York State of Health call center opened. Mm -hmm. And I was hired, I started August 29th, uh, three years ago. And there was a one-month training, uh, four weeks, five you know, 20 days. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I say this, my personal experience was that I was completely overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was learning how to function with two computer screens. As an educator, all I did was basically go online and, mm-hmm. and word process on a computer and email. So I didn't do anything sophisticated. And so that was one hurdle I had to overcome. And that was me personally. Mm-hmm. Some of my classmates had worked in other call centers, were really they were younger, they were really top-notch with computers. Mm-hmm. They had an easier time. For me personally, I think there was also some kind of mental block that went up because incredible incredibly complex and there are mm-hmm. what they call work instructions okay. that are generated to help call center representatives answer questions from individuals that are having issues or problems with their health insurance. You you say word constructions are we talking
1: about like a script something?
2: Yes uh, we were encouraged to read the answers that we would find word for word. Okay. Ideally Mm -hmm. and there could be a Almost, it seemed an infinite number of questions mm-hmm. and responses. Uh, so, imagine yourself walking into a library, okay, and you you want something, uh, a biography. So you go in the biography, and then you've got to find. Let's say there's four different biographies about the same individual. Yeah. Uh, so then you want to find the correct biography by a certain author and then you want to find something more specific so you got to find the chapter and then you got to find the paragraph that's literally mm-hmm. what we would be doing using a computer pulling up a work instruction that we would think so in training again in, in I was I'll speak for myself, getting mm-hmm. inundated with all this information and my brain was just saying, this is too darn complex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's let's do away with this right. and, and have universal... And,
1: and I assume um, while you're doing that, you have to be able to sort of listen to who you're talking to and converse with them.
2: Yes. It, it's multitasking. Yeah, it's, it's multitasking. Mm-hmm. That That's not so much a problem because you're able to say, oh, Ryan, I'm going to place you on a two- to three-minute hold because I need to research that for you. I don't have that answer on the top of my head. And by the way, we were discouraged. In fact, we we could be penalized if you didn't bring up the correct work instruction Mm because they don't want – and it's for good reason. They don't want people talking off the top of their head thinking, oh, I've answered this question four times before. Mm-hmm. I know the answer. You're still supposed to have the work mm-hmm. instruction pulled right. up. And, and well, well, how
1: would they know if you didn't use that word for word? You know, what, how were they sort of surveilling you?
2: Well, all call, all the calls are recorded, mm-hmm. and random calls would be chosen to, to be graded, literally to be graded. Right. And the call could be a 10-minute call or an hour and 10-minute call. And usually the people that were grading the calls would prefer not to listen to an hour and 10-minute call. Yeah. So they're they're trying to pull the shorter calls to give you a grade. Mm-hmm. So the calls recorded, and in addition, if the um, QC, the quality control uh, individuals that were in that department... They can reproduce the call on the computer on mm-hmm. their computer and see whether or not you were bringing up the correct mm-hmm. work instructions so and reading from them yeah. so you could be penalized if you didn't read mm-hmm.
1: so you you had this feeling of being watched in a sense you know Big brother is you know you don't know necessarily if he's watching right now, but it's a possibility
2: yes every you need to approach the the job and the calls as if every call was going to be monitored.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you want to do as well as you can. And you want to also do the right thing for the yeah. uh, the clientele. We, we didn't call them customers. Uh, I don't even remember. We were supposed to reference them as not clients.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I've been... Uh, um, consumers. Okay. Consumers. Because you were literally consuming... Healthcare. Health yeah. insurance and health care.
1: I've been um, reading this book. It's called On the Clock by Emily Gundelsberger. And in it, she describes uh, for a section of the book, her experience working in a call center. Uh, her job was in sales, I think, you know, some sort of technology sales. I, I think she was selling T V and, and she talks about a lot of the same ideas you're laying out here about how, you know, calls would be monitored. And, you know, she knew that... It, they didn't have the technology to know if she was reading from the right script on how to sell these things, but she knew that it was a possibility that somebody might be listening, even though it was obvious that listening to all that would take way too much time for anybody. Um, are are you familiar with the idea of a panopticon? No, it's this sort of thought experiment, I think from like the 19th century that the, uh, guy, you know, theorized like a prison where all the cells could be seen from one single location. And the prisoners wouldn't know if the jailer was watching them at that time, but the possibility that they were being watched would encourage them to keep, you know, good behavior at all times. And it's similar logic applied to the workplace. I, it's not, I mean, not comparing your job to a prison, but, you know, a lot of these... Ideas have you know filtered through our
2: society believe me, it got to the point just before I was uh, fired mm-hmm. that it did feel like prison, mm-hmm. and that was a complaint of the quote unquote veterans because there were other people that managed to stay there for two and a half years, mm-hmm. and uh, we all were saying, Wow, they really turned this place in, mm-hmm. into it's worse than school. It's worse than being in school. Mm. Feels like a prison. I had a micromanaging is what yeah. it was called.
1: I had a a boss for for a while. He he didn't stay along stay around long. Thank goodness. But one thing he would do is, you know, my workplace happened to be right next to his office, and sometimes he would choose to sit with his door open, just staring at me, and I hated it. made mm. made my job miserable because you know I knew what I was doing, but. The thought of being watched added a layer of stress that i didn't care to have. you know I knew i wasn't doing anything wrong, but still stopped looking at me <laughs> you know?
2: yes, um the way that call center was structured is that we had um, the management was such that there were above the c s threes those we were the grunts taking the calls from the consumers who would call in and say, you oh, know, I need to get my Medicaid renewed or I'm looking for health insurance. Can you help me out? Uh, I've gone online. The the uh, website's not user-friendly mm-hmm. as far as you know, a number. So many people called in and said, I, I tried to go online just like it says to do, and I'm confused. It's not user-friendly. The team leads would Mm -hmm. be there ostensibly to help you if you were on a call and you were attempting to find the answer to the individual's question or issue, problem. You were attempting to find it through the work instruction. If you weren't positive that you had the right work instruction, you could raise what we call the toast. It's a placard. Mm -hmm. And the team leads would come over and Hopefully, they would help you, and you get you on the right path, or maybe you just needed reassurance that that the answer you were, the work instruction answer that you were reading from is the correct response. Mm-hmm. So they they the team leads were floating, and that's what they were supposed to do. They mm-hmm. were supposed to be walking in the area that they were helping their team lead right. their team and if they wanted to they could say you know you know you're not supposed to be eating at your desk i'm telling our supervisor cuz mm-hmm. the team would have a each team would have a supervisor that was the next layer of management if you will and the supervisors were often buried in their computers and keyboards doing whatever they had to do they had multiple tasks mm-hmm. uh Every once in a while, they could get up from the desk and walk around, come back from their break, and mm-hmm. see you reading a book, which you weren't allowed to do. In that sense, yes, you, you knew that somebody could literally be looking over your shoulder. Mm-hmm. As far as we could tell, there weren't surveillance cameras. Right. They were, if they were there, they were located near the entry and exit mm-hmm. doors to keep people outside, out there,
1: yeah right. now you but but you had talked about they had um they knew when you were um logged in to whatever software they were using that you know uh made you available for calls
2: yes when if you were sitting um if you were sitting there and not answering calls mm-hmm. um that would show up later when 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 they looked at the, when the supervisor looked at the call records, saying, "Oh, well, you didn't answer calls for twenty minutes, and you didn't go on a on your authorized break. Mm-hmm. You know what was going on? What were you doing? <laughs> and mm-hmm. You would be penalized for that, and for good reason. You yeah. can't have people just goofing off. For
1: but 10, but even 20. when you didn't have and, necessarily a, a supervisor hovering over you, you were. You know, they knew what you were doing. Correct. At at some level.
2: Yes. Because they, meaning the... Management. Management, would know when you were in active, ready state, prepared to take a call that would come in. Mm -hmm. And you legitimately put yourself in not ready to use the bathroom. Take your... uh, We were entitled to fifteen minutes
1: mm-hmm.
2: twice a day. Fifteen minute morning break, fifteen minute afternoon break. And then there was a half hour, thirty minutes allocated for lunch. Okay. And you were supposed to take ideally take your breaks and lunch when you're assigned them by workforce management. However, obviously if you're on a call, you're not gonna tell the consumer, the individual, oh yeah, you know, it's my lunch break uh, mm-hmm. Call back, <laughs> right, <laughs> when right, right? That's a bozo no-no.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the book, she describes one person at, at her call center as um, they they would be logged out on their headset. That's how the software worked there, and but they would be uh, talking into the headset as though they were on the phone, hoping to fool supervisors. <laughs> you know, just spending hours, you know, not actually answering calls, but trying to look as though they were. Which I I found to be a a funny anecdote.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Anyone that was doing that for any length of time at Maximus Mm -hmm. would be fired, and I would say that's a legitimate reason. You can't be on a construction job hanging out smoking a cigarette when you're supposed to be framing Mm -hmm. walls or (laughs) putting up sheetrock.
1: We're going to take a little break here, but we'll be back after this.
2: Okay. You're listening to Punching Out on W-A-Y-O-L-P Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.
1: Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Robert. We've been talking about Robert's experience working at a call center. And there was something you said at, um, during the last segment that stood out to me, which is that there were a few veterans at this call center, people who have been working there a couple of years. And it strikes me that, given what you told me before, that you know working there for multiple years is sort of the exception to the rule. This is a place with a lot of turnover. Am I right about that?
2: You are correct about that. Tremendous turnover. Um, Again, I don't have a way to reference other call centers because it was the one and as far as I'm concerned, the only call center I'll ever work at. Um, But a friend of mine who is still working there three years, going on three years now, Mm -hmm. because the call center opened August of three years ago. Right. Uh, I started working August 29, 2016, and lasted two years, six months, and two weeks. And I considered myself a veteran <laughs> there were when I looked at my training class that I was in that first August. Mm-hmm. When I when I looked around the call center, out of 30 people in the training class, there might have been five of us left. So the turnover okay. rate was very high. One. There's a number of factors. One is that for a number of people, it may have been a, the younger people in particular, it was an entry level job. Mm-hmm. Or you know maybe they had worked in a grocery store fast. Something food. to do over
1: the summer, perhaps.
2: Yes, and this, this was an opportunity to work full time, a decent wage for the area 14 50 an hour mm-hmm. starting pay. And their intention was to work there to help build a resume. Mm-hmm. So that was one factor in turnover. Uh, another factor was that um, when that when you start working for Maximus, you're, you're given 40 hours, it's called PTO, paid time off. Right. There's no sick leave. There's no vacation time built up. You have to accrue that. So if you get sick or you're irresponsible and and you don't come into work, you lose that PTO. And that was often a way that people ended up getting fired because they were way below their, they were below zero. They're in the Mm -hmm. negative. That was another factor. So there, that may have been the exception. And then the nature of, of call center work, that constant, sense of, not just sense of surveillance, uh, although there was a sense of surveillance, and you were literally listened, your calls would could be listened to. If yeah. they wanted to, they could pull every call and listen to a particular individual. So you had that stressor. And we were dealing with people's lies. It wasn't <laughs> their phone service right. or... Um, yeah. You know, their security. Well, that's pretty important, security system. But, uh, you're talking about people's health mm-hmm. and people, diabetics needing their medicine. So there was a lot of stress involved. Mm-hmm. And unless you were able to just tune out and desensitize to hearing people's horrendous stories, that in itself created a lot of right. stress. And- so people would last a year and say, you know what, I I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> so they would find other work. So that was a factor. And then there was the factor of the corporation deciding that they wanted to reduce the workforce mm-hmm. in Rochester. I don't know if that took place in Albany okay. also. I'm thinking it was probably mm-hmm. statewide. Because again, Maximus contracted to New York State of Health. Right. And it was a three-year initial contract, I believe. Okay. And what Maximus wanted to show New York State of Health, New York State, was how efficient they mm-hmm. could be. And the the peak time, as you would imagine, for the call center for New York State of Health was during open enrollment. Right. And... That was from November 15th. Just
1: for listeners who might not be familiar, open enrollment mm-hmm. is that time when you're allowed to choose a provider off the health care exchange, right? Exactly. It's like the, you're given a month or so to make these decisions about how you're going to get health care for the rest of the year if you don't have uh, it through your employer or some other
2: means. Correct. In New York State, it was two and a half months. Yeah. It was from November 15th. Of let's say uh, 2018 until January 31st of 2019, right? And so those are typically the high volume
1: mm-hmm.
2: times where right. you could literally be getting a call every eight seconds, or sometimes even less than that. That was, we were supposed to have an eight-second break in between calls. How luxurious! And, yes, and. After open enrollment, that first year, the call volume did slow down. There was excess staff. And what happened was the contract was coming up, so Maximus wanted to show, as I said, New York State of Health, how efficient they can be. And also, because of the political situation with the new administration,
0: uh,
2: there was a lot of conjecture that call volume would be down because Fewer mm-hmm. people would be signing up on the ex- exchange yep. because of, well, I, I don't mm-hmm. want to go into that. I mean, I could spend another two hours <laughs> talking about that, but I won't. So M- Maximus Management locally at the Rochester Call Center and whoever else makes those decisions totally blew their forecast, as did New York State of Health. Uh, they were expecting fewer people to sign up this last open enrollment period. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the numbers were up, yeah. a rough estimate, four hundred twenty-five thousand, four hundred thirty thousand more people signed up in New York State to the exchange than the previous year. So what Maximus did is they, they really clamped down on what we call the metrics Mm -hmm. that you're graded by each individual call, your attendance, your return to queue, meaning if you don't answer a call and it goes back into the queue, which you don't want to do anyway because it's Mm -hmm. not fair to people that are calling in and have waited 10 or 15 minutes to finally Mm -hmm. talk to a human. What happened was... They started having those calls come in every eight seconds, mm-hmm. and they had reduced the workforce by allowing people to quit. And cr- they didn't do anything to discourage people from quitting, right? As that was a way to reduce right. the workforce. And it was then the they sort in- of
1: job people liked to quit.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. and then they started this, as I call it, draconian enforcement of the metrics they they reduced the percentage of return to queue calls you could have to three percent that means if you had a hundred calls in a week you can only allow three to go back to the queue if you did more than that Mm-hmm. you were penalized. And-, and
1: and it strikes me that this sort of ramping up the uh, metrics is very similar to what we had talked about with Amazon on our previous show that, you know, workers had gone from being expected to do maybe a thousand items an hour or whatever the metric might be to 2000. They might, be, their error rate might go from 10% to 5% or what have you. It's Everywhere there's this sort of ramping up of what's being expected of workers.
2: Yes, and being a student of history, I used to teach history in New York City, in the Bronx, and just being a lifelong political activist, I was quite aware of what we would traditionally call an industrial manufacturing, speed up.
1: Yep. yep. And I
2: would talk to my colleagues about it. Some of them paid attention and listened to that, mm-hmm. and others kind of... Their eyes just glazed over because they had no frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're working in a air conditioning fa- a factory that produces air conditioners, it would be as if you had to turn out the workforce had to turn out a thousand air conditioners a week mm-hmm. with 300 employees uh, manufacturing, you know, actually mm-hmm. doing the building, and then all of a sudden your workforce is reduced by two thirds, so you got a hundred people trying to produce the same amount, same amount, mm-hmm. if not more. That's called speed up. Mm-hmm. And, and
1: historically there were workers who pushed back against that. You know? Correct. I mean, going all the way back to the the, the Luddites who famously were against the uh, mechanization of their jobs that at, at the, like the very first factories, you know, the pace of work became more than these people wanted to bear. And, and now, I mean, we associate the term Luddite with somebody who is anti-technology, anti-progress. You know, but the, the Luddites had reasons for their opposition to technology and the machinery they encountered.
2: Because right, it was oppressing human beings, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? you know, it, exploiting human it, beings to the It mass. became a
1: matter of people being made to keep up with the pace of the machine rather exactly. than the machine helping people get things done.
2: Exactly, assembly line work. And that's really what it's – the place got turned into what I would call a sweatshop. Mm -hmm. It became sweatshop conditions because when you're sitting at your desk day after day, hour after hour, getting calls every eight seconds or less for months on a time, you're going to burn out. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. You're
2: going to burn out. I don't. I don't know how any company expects people to do mm-hmm. that. So for me to be there two years and six months and two weeks, it's a, I was it's a feat of endurance. As I <laughs> said, I was one of a very small percentage of people in my training you'd, class. that was you talked
1: about your training class dwindling from thirty to five or so. But by the time you left, uh, in, in the book uh, again, I'm referencing "On the Clock" by Emily Gundelsberger. She talks about how. She had a training class of twenty, and after a week of being on the phones, that class had dwindled to twelve. You know, there were people who just couldn't handle being on the phones all day. You know, dealing with, in her case, angry customers to AT and T, you know. and right. But it, it's a pace of work that stresses a lot of people out at, at the very minimum.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, if you weren't and physically. It's probably the unhealthiest thing I've ever done, aside from commute from where I lived into the S- city. Sitting that length of time? Like, sitting that length of time. I had I chose to be on a, a four-day shift where I'd work four, nine hours, have Friday off and work half a day Saturday. And mm-hmm. you're sitting there, aside from your breaks, for nine hours when the call volume was intense, as it was the last... Three and a half months that I worked uh,
1: mm. around yeah, open December, enrollment. January, February,
2: no March. Yeah, you know, the the call volume, and that was another thing that Maximus totally blew, that uh, because they didn't hire enough people to replenish the workforce. After open enrollment ended January 31st of 2019, we were still getting pounded with call after call after call Mm -hmm. all through February and even the last day that I worked, the call Mm -hmm. volume was high. In fact, they started instituting a, a critical day, they would call it. During open enrollment, there were critical days that you weren't, If you took the day off, you would Mm -hmm. be penalized 18 hours instead of nine. So if you took a day if you took a critical For example, me, I had the nine-hour shift. If I Mm -hmm. took a critical day off, I would be I would lose 18 hours of PTO paid time off. And it got to the point where Mondays there were so many consumers, individuals calling in that our the queue, the waiting list, was up to over 1,200 people, 1,300 people on a Monday morning, which is typically, even during the slower periods, not open yep. enrollment, a lot of people would call in Monday morning because they didn't want to deal with it over the weekend. They're calling in Monday, figure, let me get this out of the way, the beginning of my work week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the company instituted this policy where you couldn't even take a Monday off mm. because the call volume was so high. And this is post-open enrollment. Yeah. So for Eight. another six weeks, we were subjected to that constant. and I, mm. it's I a barrage. Said, enough. Mm-hmm. Enough is enough.
1: Yeah. Um, now... My workplace is somewhere where, you know, we can't take holidays off. It's, it's open 24-7. And so every holiday comes around, there will be a little sign by the, you know, punch clock, by the time clock, rather, uh, saying, you know, if you call in on a holiday or the day before, you know, that's subject to termination, you know. So there's, this isn't necessarily unique to your workplace, you know. Correct. You know, this is something that a lot of people deal with. I'm curious, you, you talked about people calling in Monday morning. Did you ever get the sense that the people were calling in from their jobs, that you were talking to somebody who was you know, calling you from work?
2: Oh, yes, yes. There were people that would call in and say, well, I'm on my lunch break. And I said, well, hopefully this will go quickly. I don't know the nature of your issue. If you're just re-signing up for the same program, it should be pretty quick.
0: It-
1: you talk about calls going quickly. About how long would these last typically?
2: Well, one of them, when I first came out of the training, mm-hmm. I was told, and I was told in training, that we want to emphasize quality. And then once I got on the floor, as they called it, answering calls, my, supervisor, my first supervisor stressed to me, we want to have quality calls. We're not Mm -hmm. concerned about the length of the call. If it takes you an hour, it takes you an hour. And
1: and that's different from some call centers.
2: That is correct. We weren't on a a time limit. However, towards the end of my time working there, I had a meeting with the manager to go over my metrics, and he said, you're spending too much time on each call. Now, part of that was my... um, not fight back, but my own individual protest about the call. we were uh,
1: doing slowdown in response. Slowdown, yes, up. Yep.
2: which was, mm-hmm. for my understanding, a, co- a common tactic yeah. of mm-hmm. industrial workers. They would, instead of speed up, they would slow down, and mm-hmm. to protest the working conditions. Yeah. That was a factor. However, I always took it upon myself to do as much education and I would towards the end when I was really making sure people were aware of Mm -hmm. as much as possible as I could fit into an hour call as we were encouraged to get off the calls like 20 minutes to 30 minutes okay Uh, they didn't like us spending an hour on the phone with someone right and I, I took the approach that I was educating the consumers mm-hmm. and a lot I was getting a lot of feedback from people who would say, you know what? You're you're the most informed. And I've learned more in this call <laughs> with you yeah. than I have in two years calling into this same place. Same place. And I said, "Well, thank you. That's. I feel that's what I'm supposed to be doing." And management doesn't see it that way, because <laughs> they are all about call volume mm-hmm. and numbers. Once right, again, right?
1: They they, they talk about qu- quality, but they do need quantity. They do want quantity. Correct.
2: Yeah. And I I wasn't striking the balance as far as they were concerned. Mm-hmm. They didn't. They didn't care that I was doing a great job educating people, uh, mm-hmm. calming them down. Uh, getting really right. good scores on my quality, they wanted mm-hmm. production, the,
1: and they weren't officially measuring this time, but y- you know that they were measuring it
2: yes yeah. it it wasn't supposed to be one of the metrics mm-hmm. uh although they they did track that they mm-hmm. they knew exactly how long and. you were spending on calls, and then it would take an average, and I was told to speed up.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book, she was working for this company called Convergis, and there would be a little warning that would pop on her screen after like ten minutes and then another after i I think it was seven hundred and fifty seconds so that 's twelve and a half minutes to say, "Okay, you know you need to cut this short," which you know it seems antithetical to getting something done well correct know, to have that sort of time limit
2: yes, thank goodness we didn 't have that. Mm-hmm for most of the time that I worked there. Um, I did have team leads come over and, uh, or not, not a team lead uh, was called workforce management. Sometimes if you were on a call for a long time, they would come over and say, is everything okay? And my typical response was, oh yes, I'm Mm -hmm. just making sure that they completely understand what, what's going on with their insurance coverage yeah. So yeah they would they would come around if you were on a call for what they d- decided was an excessively long call
1: So so you became very aware that they were tracking this sort of thing
2: Yes yeah. and they they really started to when they had reduced the workforce <laughs> that's when they started doing the, that yeah. really started doing that and it was As far as I'm concerned, it was about maximizing their profits. And Mm -hmm. they realized, oh, look, look, we're still, you know, we still have this contract with New York State of Health, and we're doing this amount of work with two-thirds less, even though people are disgruntled and angry and upset. And Mm -hmm. We would have team meetings, and, you know, people would talk about the call volume, the incessant call volume. So in some ways... We didn't have to deal with those onerous conditions of, you know, something popping up on your screen. Mm-hmm. Although we, could, we knew on our phone there was a little clock that would tell how many minutes you were on the call. So we had a way of gauging that. Okay. But it wasn't a warning sign. like mm-hmm. You're on this call for too long. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: speaking of the clock, I see it's time for a break. We'll, we'll be right back.
2: You're listening to Punching Out on W-A-Y-O-L-P Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.
1: Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan. We've been talking uh, with Robert here for the past 40 minutes about his experience working at a call center for this company, Maximist, that was helping to handle the customer service end of the Affordable Care Act and all the complications that go with that. And I, I, I was curious, you know, you've been pretty obvious that you made your displeasure with the job clear by the end of your time there. Did you notice any of your other coworkers upset about how things were going there?
2: Yes, the morale had dropped tremendously. We went from one extreme to the other. There was two lacks at the beginning. I could Mm -hmm. say objectively that we were overstaffed Mm -hmm. based on the downtime in between calls. And then as attrition started to happen and, and the corporation decided to, f- to fire people, they were doing everything they could. In fact, my next-to-last supervisor said, hey, hey Bob, make sure that if you're complaining about the job, you don't do it when there's a supervisor or a manager mm-hmm. around because they, they won't hesitate to fire you in a heartbeat. Yeah. They're looking to get rid of people, mm-hmm. so they're not stopping people from quitting they're in, and they're going out of the way the, to get rid of people they're
1: looking to make cuts
2: yes, they were looking to make make cuts, and they certainly did and that destroyed morale. i'll give you another example of mm-hmm. the first year of operation, mm-hmm. the company hired. A catering company. Maximus hired a catering company to mm-hmm. come in and treat us to a lunch, catered okay. yep. lunch. You had three three choices, mm-hmm. and you know there was a dessert. It was really nice. Okay. And there were a lot more people working there at the time, so they spent a fair amount of money. The next year, we we got a cupcake in a box. <laughs> the box. <laughs> okay. That the cupcake in probably costs more than the actual cupcake, mm. and that that would show you how much money they mm-hmm. Maximus decided they wanted to save. And there was an an, an email we would get emails from the, the the CEO or the president of the corporation, and they actually spoke about they addressed this. Maximus talked, sent out the email, telling everyone that they had just purchased uh, another company that would enable them to be more efficient and to mm. make more money. Okay. Bottom line, yep. that had to be paid for somehow. Mm-hmm. So, I could see the writing on the wall. Oh, look, they they go from a catered meal, the first year, to cupcakes the second year. What are we going to do? They're if buying any, other companies. And they're yeah. buying other companies and they're laying people off. Mm-hmm. People are quitting, they're not replacing them. This is not good.
1: Yeah. And and this mm. isn't, you know, exclusive to your company. We we see like there are whole industries where these like private equity firms are coming in and they're buying up companies to saddle them with debt, to cut costs and then eventually The company dies on the vine, essentially. Uh, You think about Toys R Us, that's effectively why they've closed down. Or or Tops, to give the local example. You know, the grocery chain, they've been bought by this larger firm that wanted to cut costs at all costs.
2: And so they were closing stores?
1: Yeah, there there were reports that the whole chain would close down.
2: Yes, I remember that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the union... Help to fend that off uh, to yes, some extent, and,
1: and we will get into that. Um, just uh, I, I think in like the newspaper industry, a lot of newspapers are being bought up by this uh, media conglomerate, and that, and there are a few of them that will you know effectively gut newsrooms, you know, to ter- make the paper profitable. But there are huge externalities to that. You know, you end up with reduced coverage. You end up with all these things because of cuz one company has to make a profit at the end of the day.
2: Right. So the the local reporting mm-hmm. and international reporting is I guess yeah. The only thing that's still remaining is national reporting. Local mm-hmm. reporting is being reduced and mm-hmm. and international coverage is right, right. Nil. The things
1: that, you know, get the least attention but maybe should get more attention and the things that cost the most to cover.
2: Exactly. So to get back to answering, you, sum up your question, Yeah, yeah morale was down. They would, mm-hmm. I'd go into the break room and talk to people, and they'd just say, we're being micromanaged now. This is worse, this is worse than being in school. It's starting mm-hmm. to feel like a prison and not yeah. a, a workplace. And, and, again, that led to people quitting, and their jobs weren't – their mm-hmm. positions weren't refilled
1: which made it and worse on everybody who stayed, right
2: exactly, so morale was really down, and um you know I wouldn't recommend anyone work there
1: <laughs> and and you had talked about how like it was especially bad among the people who had been there a while because they knew that it had been better in the past, they had experienced the speed up did Did you feel that maybe some of the newer workers there they didn't know what to compare it to and maybe were?
2: I, I didn't really get to talk to too many of the newer employees, although people have been well, there for about a year.
1: What you're describing, there weren't a lot of newer employees because yes. they were too busy firing and not hiring. But
2: that's correct. However, the, I believe it was pretty universal across the board that the call volume during that last open enrollment was just so oppressive mm-hmm. that... Anyone and everyone who was working there, answering the phone calls, the CS threes, mm-hmm. and even the CS fours, because they had to. Wait, what are help.
1: those acronyms? Just
2: oh, the CS three right. is the category or or title that was given to people that, like myself, right. they were actually answering the calls from consumers, from individuals, okay. and getting people signed up or helping people with their issues with health Got it. insurance. Okay. And then the next level up was the CS4. They were the team leads, and depending on how conscientious they were, they mm-hmm. could be very busy or mm-hmm. not so busy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they were, yeah. Like in any enviro- work environment, you're going to have people that are conscientious and, and good at what they do, and not slacking off, <laughs> and others that are. But when you're on, the, and when you're on the phone answering the calls. You really couldn't slack off without uh, serious repercussions. Mm-hmm. N-
1: now, to some extent, call center jobs, they're, I-, I think it's fair to say that they've grown in the past couple decades, especially in this part of the country. Their you know, industry has died off, and for a lot of people, call centers are, have been the place for employment that has replaced you know, the factories and manufacturing that once dominated this region. And, to some, and in your case, I mean, there does need to be a, a call center doing the things that Maximus did, you know, helping people with their health insurance plans. And still does. Yeah. Because they
2: have the contract with uh, – their contract was renewed, so they were <laughs> successful in showing how, ef- yeah, quote-unquote, yeah. efficient they can be. But ultimately, they weren't efficient because they were burning their workers mm-hmm. out.
1: Mm-hmm. So I, I guess my question is, okay – we can't get rid of this call center in particular. There are probably some call centers that we could do away with. What would have made life there better for you nine hours a day? How could that have been made more tolerable?
2: By not allowing, not reducing the workforce Mm -hmm. to the extent that they did. We were all psychologically, emotionally geared up for open enrollment, like, oh, open enrollment's coming, Mm -hmm. it's going to be... It's going to be busy. We all knew that. However, we didn't anticipate being hammered like that. Uh, Calls coming in every eight seconds. I mean, uh, within eight seconds after you end a call. Mm -hmm. In other words, we didn't expect to be dealing with the tremendous, onerous call volume. Then again, it goes back to the workforce being cut down, the attrition.
1: And you, you might say, from your perspective, that's mismanagement to be cutting at a time when you actually need more workers. But that is, to, at some extent, you know, the end goal for every company, isn't it? You know, to have
2: in, in capitalism. Yes, as the, when I was workers. Right. When I taught economics uh, in high school in New mm-hmm. York State, in New York City, in the Bronx, uh, statewide. Uh, when you talk about capitalism, I, well, when I did. I'd mm-hmm. ask my students, what's, what's the main goal of capitalism? Right. And most of them would say, well, to make money. And I'd say, well, it's, not, it's even more than just making money because if, you're, if you have a business and you bring in $1,000 a day and you're only ending up with a profit of $10 a day, you're mm-hmm. not going to stay mm-hmm. in business. So right. yeah, a yeah, few yeah. of them would be able to say, Make the most money you can, or maximize profit. profit. Mm-hmm. So that's the nature of capitalism. And if there's if there's no concern about the quality, of, of the work experience for workers, uh, I'll use an example I've heard, I've read. I don't know if people in this area how often they shop at Trader Joe's. Mm-hmm. You walk into that store, in Pittsburgh. Yep. The employees look happy, mm-hmm. and they are happy. And you, if you talk to them, they get to rotate their their job tasks. You're not okay. stuck on a register for nine hours. It, it's
1: less repetitive.
2: Less repetitive. And the company goes out of their way to encourage mm. uh, positive work experience at Trader mm. Joe's. Maximus, that ultimately, they didn't give a damn about because we mm. were just – they considered us replaceable, mm. you want to quit go ahead quit you 're not going to meet our metrics we'll fire you mm-hmm.
1: we, we talked a bit earlier about like the history of industrialization and um I'm thinking of like the the creation of the assembly line where instead of having one person whose job might be to do all the steps in building a car say all those individual jobs would be each person would do the same task over and over all day, and it might be just attaching one hubcap to the car or, or what have you. And the, and that sort of repetition really seems to grate on people. It has historically. It does now. And I don't know what can be done to undo that sort of um, that atomization of the job to break you know that it's broken down into such discreet parts, but it seems like that would do a lot to improve people's mental health and their physical health if you're sitting down all day.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if there's a solution to a call center job, yeah, because um, you are in a specific task and right. in some ways dealing with different issues. It, I it, guess you could look at that as a positive challenge. Mm-hmm. Within a call, it, it keeps variety. There, within a, a day, I should yeah. say, you could get twenty different, twenty calls. Maybe ten of them will be the same, mm-hmm. in, in in sense that you're signing people up for Medicaid. Okay, mm-hmm. That's fairly straightforward. Well, then there were some other complexities involved in other calls. So at least that allowed your your brain to be active and, however (laughs) the the other side of that, the other side of that coin was that it could be tremendously stressful and, and draining. I I would leave there
1: have to know, you know, the script to read for all those different things.
2: And knowing that they want you to get off the call as quickly as possible and Mm -hmm. still get things right. Yeah. There's a, there was tremendous stress. Uh, you were beginning to say, you know, you would leave there, and oh, I would leave there totally drained most days, just mm-hmm. like wiped out. And and I heard my colleagues say that the, when I get home, you know, all I want to do is just sit down. I don't even feel like cooking. Mm-hmm. I just want to veg out, zone out.
1: And what age were your colleagues? Just out of curiosity, would-
2: they would range in age from I would say. 20 to um, six, mm-hmm. 60s. I was one of the older employees answering the phones. Yeah. It, uh, it
1: just strikes me that this is the sort of thing, you know, that a job that sort of draining would be hard to go home and then have responsibilities like being a parent on top of that, you know?
2: Oh, yeah. There are, there are a fair number of single moms there. Um, yeah, that would. I can't imagine being in that situation where mm-hmm. I have to come home and pick up the kids, childcare, care or a yeah. relative and then cook dinner, or get the kids to bed. I, I guess
1: the, the point I'm getting at is, you know, these sorts of stresses of the workplace, they aren't limited to the workplace. They follow people at, in their home lives, you know, throughout the day, you know, you know having to wake up
2: early even. It's right.
1: o- over a long enough period of time that has effects on people.
2: And not positive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's why I loved having Fridays off. It made sense to me. You get that break at the end of the week, and you get to do all the... I would do all my chores and business on that Friday, make appointments, doctor's appointments, Mm -hmm. auto repairs. And I don't know how people had five-day-a-week. They were on the five-days, eight-hour shifts they would have to take a day off or part yeah. of a day off to deal with what the, i was dealing the, with the on normal Fridays. You know, yeah normal life. things of
1: life yeah right. right and just to change the subject a little bit i i'm thinking about you know your task of explaining this complicated health law another way that might you know ease this burden is if we just didn't have a health insurance system that was so complicated and convoluted you know
2: and that was Part of my resistance and i I'm acknowledging that there was inter- internal resistance on my part, my brain would just shut down in the training class after a certain amount of hours of going mm-hmm. oh my god oh my goodness this this is so darn com in fact, I think I even said it in class out loud look <laughs> I'd rather pay two to three percent more in federal taxes and have a yeah. national health insurance program like most not all the industrialized world has. Mm-hmm. Make it a single-payer system. I don't know what you w- want to call it, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily Medicare for all, but whatever it's labeled, yeah. it's vastly simplified. You're not trying to get people through this maze of... Mm-hmm. of.
1: You don't need as many corporate.
2: call centers. Right, and you, <laughs> wouldn't, you wouldn't need as many call centers. Yeah.
1: Looking at the clock, uh, we've come to the end of our hour here, but this has been an enlightening discussion. I'm, I'm glad we were able to get this in.
2: Yes, terrific. I, there were some other things I wanted to say about Maximus, but maybe that would be another, another <laughs> session or part of the maybe session. Maybe
1: those can't be aired on radio.
2: Yeah, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for
1: this week, I'm Ryan.
2: This is Robert speaking again. Obviously, it's been a pleasure here. <laughs> Working with you, Ryan, and mm. I'm glad I was able to address yep. my experience as a call center and mm. specifically a Maximus.
1: This was Punching Out.
0: You've been listening Punching to Punching now. Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching, Punching Out Rayo.